Hello and welcome to the First Prez Mommy podcast, the show for people on the go who like to stay in tune with the conversations at our church. Today, Pastor Clint Tolbert starts into Exodus 3, 1-15. In the midst of solitude, Moses is encountered by God. God leads him to ask the two most fundamental questions of life, who am I, and who is God? Let's hear today's message. This week I was listening to a a news recording that I make a habit of listening to, and it was talking about the newest trend on the social media platform TikTok. I, I don't subscribe to TikTok, not because I'm too sanctified, but because I'm too old. <laughs> TikTok, if you're not aware, is used frequently by high schoolers. I think uh, all of my kids are on that platform. They like to share videos and all sorts of things. And a video has been shared frequently in the last week or two, a video that lifts up and celebrates the practice of silent walking, quote-unquote. It comes from uh, Maddie Mayo. Uh, she's a social media influencer who first put out this video. I think there's a still shot of, of Maddie, and she is just absolutely beside herself in the video celebrating silent walking. She talks about how, how beneficial it's been for her mental health, that she's able to think better, and there's actually been positive effects in her body. Since she shared this video, I mean, here's how much it's blowing up. Since she shared this video, which was just like a week ago, maybe 10 days Uh, It's been viewed by more than half a million people. And many who view it then create their own videos celebrating what they discovered about silent walking. Well, you might be asking, what in the world is silent walking? Well, here it is. I'll tell you. Silent walking. Dedicate 30 minutes. Find uh, a local park or maybe your neighborhood. Do not, this is key, do not take earbuds, headphones, AirPods, whatever it may be. No music, no podcasts, by yourself, walk. I mean, those of us who are older older called this trend taking a walk, right? (laughs) But for, for the young amongst us, it is this amazing discovery and innovation that that you might benefit from a moment of silence or solitude. I mean, I, I mock a little bit, but, but the fact that this is blowing up as it is helps us recognize how busy and noisy our world is. And we should not mock the young at something like this, for the, we're the ones who ushered in a world such as this. We've ushered it in, and in fact, though I don't have TikTok, and though I know what it is to actually just take a walk, I recognize how I invite noise into my life in all sorts of different ways. I mean, I, it is reflex for me when I get into the car to turn on sports radio. It is automatic when I get home and I'm tired to crash in my lazy boy and turn on the television. Even when I take a shower, which don't imagine that, but 
I have a waterproof speaker where I listen to a, a favorite podcast. I've invited noise into my life, and I've done so in such a way that I recognize when there is quiet, I'm kind of uneasy with that. It is unsettling. I, I bet some of you can identify with that. We've become so addicted to noise and busyness that, that when we have a moment of silence or solitude, if it lasts too long, we don't know what to do. For some, this is, takes place in the normal patterns of life, but I've counseled some of you, it, it took place when you retired. And those things that defined your experience, the voices and the noises and the activities they go away, you're crawling out of your skin. How many people can't retire? For others, when you lose a spouse or go through divorce, the pain is not just the loss of the person. As hard as that is, it is also the reality that all of a sudden you find yourself alone. And it's quiet. Silence and solitude, they can be hard. But what I want you to recognize from the passage we just heard read this morning, the passage we'll consider more deeply together, I want you to recognize that it is silence and it is solitude that provide the very important context during which God encounters Moses and by which God will encounter you and I. I mean, understanding this story that has just been read is crucial, not only for grasping the biblical story uh, as it unfolds before us, but also to understand our own stories in relationship with God. For in this passage, two questions are raised, and these two questions are the most fundamental and important questions that human beings have to ask and answer. They are, who am I? What is my identity? And who is God? And it's only in the context of silence and solitude that God speaks to Moses and, I think, to you and to me. And so, if you haven't already, please open to Exodus chapter 3. We'll look at verses 1 through 15. And allow God's Spirit and God's Word to speak. Helping us to recognize not only Moses' encounter with God, but, but our own encounter through Him. As you're turning, allow me to pause and pray one more time. Lord God, we do give thanks for Your Word. And we do pray in this moment, even as I speak, maybe it, may it be a moment of, of silence or solitude where other noises in our mind are pushed out and we are enabled to focus only on your word. Enable us to hear you, Lord, and take hold of the truth and the grace of not only who you are, but what you say. That our answer to the question, who am I, might be found in the recognition 
of who you are. It's in your name, Lord, we pray. Amen. Well, uh, if you're new with us, we are in the process of unfolding the, the Scripture, telling the biblical story. We began a few weeks ago, early September, in Genesis, and we are unfolding that all the way to the day of Pentecost. And so, for the most part, this fall, we're working our way through the Old Testament. And uh, because of that, we have to jump over huge sections of God's story. And so most weeks, it will be appropriate to begin by just acknowledging, okay, what did we skip over so that we can make sure we understand the story? Last week, Pastor Jason preached, and you'll remember, he lifted up the account of when Jacob wrestled with God, and in so doing was transformed. His personal transformation was marked by the giving of a new name. He went from being called Jacob to Israel, and he becomes one of the the patriarch of the nation of Israel, God's people. Jacob had 12 sons, and those 12 sons would become uh, the names of the tribes of Israel from that point forward. If you know the story, when they go into the promised land and they're divided into their tribes, those tribes are these uh, sons' names. One of those sons is Joseph. Joseph plays a really important role in the story. God uses Joseph to rescue not only the Hebrew people, but all of the people in that region, especially in the nation of Egypt during the midst of a a great, great famine. And so God, through Joseph, calls Jacob and all of his sons and all of the people to leave the land of Canaan and go to Egypt And he preserves them there. But of course, Jacob and Joseph and all his brothers and all who lived in that generation die. And the next generation comes. If you are reading along in the biblical uh, schedule, you'll notice that that, uh, we were assigned more reading than what I'm lifting up this morning. I'd encourage you to read that for yourself. But... But one verse from that reading is Exodus 1.8, and it kind of sets the context for this. It says, then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. I'll just pause there for a moment, and just would would you recognize with me? If, If Joseph was used by God to save all of Egypt... How incredible is it that the very next generation forgets and doesn't recognize who he is? That's absurd, but but true. And it lends us to the importance of what we're doing, that we wouldn't forget the story of the one who is so important to our history as this new king did, did. Be it as it may, he's forgotten. And the Hebrew people multiply and they become a threat to Egypt, at least so they think. And so they, the Pharaoh enslaves God's people and wholly mistreats them. Again, I'm guessing this is familiar to many of you. If it's not, you ought to read it on your own. And though I myself consider it a little surprising, uh, even Disney gets it pretty right with the, with the movie Prince of Egypt, the animated movie. And so Elrods, if you want to go with Bennett and watch that movie and say, hey, this is what we talked about in church. Might be a good practice this afternoon. 
But there's the context. And, and Moses is introduced in Exodus 2. He will be appointed by God to rescue God's people who have been enslaved. And it's through God's encounter with Moses that each of us, you and I, are invited to consider the ways God desires to encounter us. So let, let's look at that together. Again, this passage, I, I want to frame with the two most important questions that we would ask, and Moses himself asked. That first question is, who am I? You see it in Exodus chapter 3, verse 11, right? God says, hey, Moses, I have a job for you to do. You're going to go stand before Pharaoh, and I'm going to use you to rescue my people. And he says, who am I? Who am I? Moses lifts up this question in large part because he is a man in the midst of an identity crisis. As Jason alluded to before he read, Moses was a Hebrew born into slavery. But then adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, he was raised as royalty, as a, as a prince. Moses, somehow in childhood, we're not told, but he must have become aware of his uh, ethnicity. He recognizes he's actually a Hebrew even as he's living amongst royalty. And so his heart begins to be troubled by that. What does that mean? When on a certain day he sees an Egyptian official uh, mistreating and abusing a Hebrew slave, Moses steps in looking around to make sure that no one would see, he kills the Egyptian, buries him. Must have thought he had done something noble. But the very next day, when he sees two Hebrew men in conflict one another with one another, he steps in. And their response and what they said must have caused absolute dread for Moses. Not only did they not welcome his intervention, but they mocked him and helped Moses recognize that this act that he thought was hidden actually had been exposed. They said, what are you going to do, Moses? Kill one of us? Oh, boy. The scripture goes on and tells us explicitly that Pharaoh finds out and Pharaoh sets his mind to executing Moses. And so Moses flees into the wilderness. Moses isn't a man in the midst of an identity crisis. And if we're going to recognize this passage for what it is, I think you need to give yourself to try to think about what did that feel like as Moses is there in the desert with nobody but the sheep. What races through his mind his heart. Who am I? To whom do I belong? Am I, a, am I a slave? Who was my mom? Who was my dad? Who are my people? Do I belong to Pharaoh? Am I a man of poverty? Am I, am I a man of wealth? Who's got my back? And what is my future? And where do I go from here? And is there any hope in life? In the end, who am, who am I? This is Moses. All alone, in the midst of the desert. 
And it's you, and it's me, and it's every person who travels through life in one way or another. This question of who, I, who am I or, or the question of identity is the fundamental question that we continually ask through life. We use different words. It shows up in different ways, but, but think about it. A child, the youngest child is asking the question, am I worthy of love? As they crawl onto their parents' lap and are either embraced or pushed away, I'm too busy. A student is asking, what am I good at? As they join a team or, or pick up an instrument or belong to a club, they're searching with this question, what am I good at? But it's really, who am I? Somebody in their 20s, like kind of my older kids right now, they're wondering, what, what, will, I, what will I do? What should I do? How will I be trained? Where is the job? What's the purpose of my life? But fundamentally, it's who am I? Empty nesters. I'm approaching that. We're not there yet. But I see the question coming. So what do I give my life to now? I mean, we've gone from four in the home to two. And it's quiet. Not as quiet as your home. But compared to what I've known for the last few years, I don't know what to do with it. Retirement. Senior years. Am I still valuable? You know, people used to make appointments with me. They'd have to wait two weeks, three weeks to get to see me. Now I don't feel like anyone even cares what I have to say. Those who are widowed, divorced, who've known their life wholly as one way, and now who am I? And it's not me and them, but just me. You see, this is the fundamental question of life. Who am I? What's the answer? The modern world, and in fact the world as it ever has been, but they're shouting right now. <laughs> the modern world says, we know where to look for that answer. In order to answer the question, who am I, the modern world says, look within. No one has the right, no one has the ability to be able to tell you who you are. Only you can do that. And so listen for your feelings. Listen to your thoughts. And don't for a minute allow anything outside of you to suggest who you actually are. Not tradition, not your church, not a book, not your parents, not your friends, not your biology, nothing. Nothing outside of you gets to tell you who you are. You only look inside to discover that answer. Again, the world is shouting that right now, but that's, that's been something that's been at least whispered throughout the ages. That's what Moses hears, right? So he comes to God, and God says, all right, I got a job for you. Moses says, who am I? 
It's not just a question, it's an objection, right? Because in listening to, for the answer to the question, who am I, he begins to look in to his own experiences, to his own feelings, to his own sense of what is right and true. When God says, all right, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh, Moses is thinking, I've already stood before Pharaoh. Frankly, I grew up before Pharaoh. And you know the last time I was with Pharaoh? He tried to kill me. The voice to the question, who am I, that came up within him was fear. It was this logic that says, this does not make sense. Likewise, you're going to stand before Pharaoh, and I'm going to use you to rescue my people. There again, Moses is going, yeah, let me tell you about the last time I was with your people. They mocked me, threatened to turn me in. God, this does not make sense. And the voices within say, you're nothing, Moses. He calls out, who am I? And I want you to notice God's answer. Who am I? You're the one who's with me. Or better yet, I'm the one who's with you. Look at it. The, the answer to the question, who am I, doesn't come from within. Instead, it comes from beyond. The answer to the question, who am I, is not found primarily by understanding ourselves, but in recognizing who God is. And so verse 11 leads to verse 12 and leads us to ask that second fundamental question, who is God? God says to Moses, I'll tell you who I am. I'm the one that's with you. Moses goes, okay, okay, okay. But, you never say but to God, do you? (laughs) I think I understand what you're saying, but, right? He says, but what if I go to the people you're calling me to deliver, and they say, oh yeah? Who's this God who's sending you? What's his name? Oh, here we get to one of the most important passages in all of scripture. What is your name? As we think about this question, let me, let me get you to think a little bit about our journey so far. How has God been known in the story up to this point? How would people refer to God? Just think about it. You can call it out if you want, but you don't have to. Nah, not really. They just... Generally, they'll just say God, Lord, or there's like this title, God of our fathers, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God has not shared his name in an intimate way. He's just been this far off sense of a deity, not Terribly unlike lots of others under, uh, other understandings of God in the world. But now, God is going to give Moses, and through Moses, God's people, his name. He said, I am the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And here is my name. I am who I am. Now, that's not really God's name. That's a translation of the Hebrew name that is there. And the Hebrew name that is there is 
so important, so profound, so holy. If you're going to meet an Orthodox Jew, they will not speak out the name that's translated, I am who I am. They will say, I am who I am, or they'll substitute another of God's names. They'll say Jehovah or Adonai or something like that, but they will not say this name. I'll say it. The name is Yahweh, and it is a holy name of God. It's hard to define. There's no clear definition. If you're going to try to describe somebody you know, you always do so in reference to something else. Oh, they're tall, or they're short, they have red hair, they're the one who laughs a lot. They... To whom will you refer God? He always has been. The giving of this name is deeply personal. For when you know somebody's name, you belong to them, and they to you, in a, in a, that is unlike any other. When you're saying, you know, that, that guy or that gal over there. You recognize that? It's the importance of a name. This, this just yesterday, my daughter had a soccer game. Last home soccer game of the season, it was senior night. Because the person who was behind the microphone calling the, the game most of the time was a senior dad, and they wanted to let him walk out on the field, guess who they asked to get behind the microphone? Somebody who's used to a microphone. <laughs> I'm not comfortable there, but I said, okay. I got up there and recognized I had no idea what I was doing. I read the script, but whoever wrote the script didn't know what they were doing either, right? It was terrible. <laughs> but I quickly recognized the most important thing for me to do was to call out the name of the girl who was running onto the field. There's something beautiful about hearing your name. It's not like the girl didn't know who she was. And frankly, it's a girl's high school soccer game. It's not like the people in the stands didn't know who she was. But still, it's important to hear the name. You know that. When someone calls you by name, you feel seen and valued. You belong to them and they to you. And in that sense, God says, I want to give you my name. Many suggest this is the Easter story in the Old Testament. That moment where, where God goes from being this far-off presence, coming right into our midst, inviting us into personal relationship with Him. If you think that's a stretch, just relook at Exodus 3, verse 7 there. If we take out a couple of words, listen to what it sounds like. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people. I've heard them crying out, and I am concerned about their suffering. Is that not the gospel or the context for the gospel? This passage points to Jesus, who himself takes up this, this name, I am who I am. And he uses it to help those with whom he, he lived to recognize his true identity. This is seen especially in the Gospel of John as he uses that phrase, I am, over and over and over again. Seven times, in fact. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. 
I am the light of the world. I am the door for, of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection of the, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. He's saying, I am God. In case that doesn't convince you, look at John chapter 8. In debate with the religious leaders in that moment, where they're questioning Jesus' identity, they ask, are you greater than our father Abraham? Who do you think you are? And after a little bit of discourse, Jesus says this, very truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. And then look what they did. They picked up stones to kill him. Why'd they do that? Because he spoke in grammatical error? Of course not. Because they recognized what Jesus was claiming. That he himself is God. God's miraculous rescue of his people from slavery by the hand of Moses foreshadows an even greater rescue in the person of Jesus as he authors our salvation. And our crisis of identity, all of the ways that we ask the question, who am I, over and over and over as we walk through life, friends, they are, that is answered not by looking within ourselves for the answer, but by looking to Jesus, who is God himself. That's why God took on flesh. That's why he came into our world. That's why he hung on a cross. And that's why he invites you into worship and life as he's doing right now. We're going to approach the table in a minute. But before we do, let's return to just that, that idea that I introduced to you. The, the silent walking. How absurd and how important to recognize the absolute need for silence and solitude that we might create the context by which we might hear from God. It's not an accident that Moses is encountered in the wilderness in the midst of that crisis when he's all by himself. And it's important if we want to be continually transformed, if we want to hear the right answer to those questions, who am I, who is God, that we nurture moments like that for ourselves. I mean, Jesus himself did. Remember, as his ministry began, and he's led out into the desert, he's encountered by the enemy, who speaks the question, who are you? And then tempts Jesus to answer that question by looking within. Think about it. Look at your appetite. Look at your fears. Look at your ambitions. How did Jesus respond? Not by looking within, but by looking beyond. Ah, God's word says this. And God's word says this. And God's word says this. The right recognition 
or answer to who, who am I comes not from within, but from beyond. Jesus knew that. And so through the whole of his ministry, he continued to cultivate those quiet moments with the Father. You know that, right? As you read the Gospels, Jesus preaches, a huge crowd comes around. They're telling him, we know who you are. You're great. It's part of me that would want to say, tell, what, what's that again? Say it, right? Because he goes away into the hills to spend time with the Father. Because it's the Father who tells him who he is. This is the history of the church. Some of you know of this group of people called the early desert fathers and mothers. In the early centuries of the church, our ancestors knew this. People like St. Anthony, he lived in 251 to 356. I don't think this is a real photograph, but I think it probably reflects who he was. Someone of great wealth, prestige, his whole future was in front of him, but he recognized, I'm not going to find the answer to who am I and all of these means. And so he gave it all away, retreated into the desert, spent his life nurturing silence and solitude that God might be the one to speak. Because of the testimony of his life, thousands came after him and did similar things. It's always been a challenge to hear the right answer to that question, who am I? But friends, I, I think the challenge is as great today as it ever has been. Is, has there ever been a time where our world was more noisy, more busy? We've become addicted to it. I can't just point the finger out there. I have to point the finger here and say, I invite it into my life. And so as I do, I and I encourage you to ask God to help you, to truly be countercultural and cultivate those times of silence and solitude where we can hear from God as he reveals to us who he is and in response to that, who we are as well. One practical help to this uh, a lady named, uh, by the name of Ruth Haley Barton wrote the book Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership that's been really, really helpful to me. She uses the story of Moses through the desert and his transformation as a leader and these encounters that God has with him as a way to help us think about transformation ourselves. This isn't just for pastors. This is for anybody who's a leader. And in case you didn't know, everybody's a leader. Uh, in God's economy. So consider whether you might grab this book and use it. God encounters Moses in a holy moment. Not just the wilderness, but you look at the language around that burning bush. Take off your sandals, Moses. Get ready, because you're about to experience something that's going to blow your mind. Friends, as we come to the table, might we recognize a similar encounter a mystery we don't fully understand, but a holy moment where God promises to encounter us in a way that is unlike any other. Let's take a moment to pause and pray and prepare ourselves uh, to come to the table uh, to be encountered by God. Lord, we do give thanks. Give thanks for your word and your spirit. 
for the recognition that you speak to us in quiet whispers, often when we are still. Lord, you know our heart and all of the ways we ask the question, who am I? You know the temptation that we face to answer that from within. Would you help us instead, Lord, to look to you, to look beyond, to look to your word, to your people, to your spirit. For knowing who you are is the key to knowing who we are. Help us, Lord Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed our First Pres Mommy podcast. Learn more about our church at our website, firstpresmommy.org. Have a great week.